Welcome to another Salvation by Grace midweek message. Salvation by Grace is the teaching ministry of Grace Christian Assembly, a Sovereign Grace Fellowship in Smyrna, Tennessee. Remember to visit our website at salvationbygrace.org. Now, here's our pastor and teacher, Jim McClarty. You can turn to Proverbs chapter 1 and we will get there eventually. Last Wednesday, we were talking about, is the church effective? I say we were talking about it. I was talking about it. You were forced to listen. It was. And in the course of talking about that, I was saying that it is necessary to be in the fight in the battle with sin. And then on Sunday morning, as we were reading the early part of chapter 8 of the book of Romans, we again were confronted with that idea of living by the flesh or living by the spirit. And I said yet again that you need to be in the battle, considering that the flesh and the spirit are at enmity with each other. So I stumbled almost haphazardly this week onto an analogy that I think kind of sums up what I have been trying to describe, what I am convinced the Bible describes about our relationship to sin. And the analogy, hopefully, will help some of you to understand what the Bible says, because the Bible says two things about our relationship with sin. We know theologically that Christ has, in fact, done it all. We know that Christ has accomplished full redemption. We know that. But we also know that we do struggle with sin all the time. And like I've been saying, you need to be in the battle. You need to be engaged in that. Paul said that he still, though he wants to do good, still finds this law in his members that sin, evil, is present with him. And that what he wants to do, he doesn't do. And so there's that side of the equation that we can all get a hold of and say, yeah, that's right. I would like to be righteous and good and make sure that every step is toward holiness. But the truth is, because I'm living in this flesh, uh, I, I just don't seem to ever be able to actually do that. So here's the analogy I ran into this week. And I thought, what an absolutely perfect analogy for our lives right now in this state. We know that Christ has done it all, and we know that we still struggle with our sin. So how do you balance those two? At the end of the Civil War, said this article that I was reading, at the end of the Civil War, there were pockets of soldiers especially in the South, who did not know that the war was over after the war was actually over. So the war was done. The peace treaties were written up. The generals had surrendered. But because they didn't have great means of communication, there were still pockets of soldiers who were ready to fight at a moment's notice, who would still fight against the Northerners. And I thought, wow, that... That is the perfect analogy for what we're in. The war is over. Christ did it. It's all done. We know that the war is done. He has paid the price. The sin debt is covered. That's over. 
But there are still these pockets of sin that exist in us that are still fighting, still rising up, still creating skirmishes and battles and fights. And we still need to fight those battles, which is why Paul would use very aggressive language about mortifying the deeds of the flesh, which means to just kill them, just be done with them. Or the way that he said, I take every thought captive. is very aggressive commands to be on your guard because you never know when you might bump into a little pocket of people who don't know the war's over yet. And they're still going to want to fight. And that's the way that sin still exists in us, in our flesh. It still wants to rise up in us. It still wants to engage us in all kinds of activity, and we need to be aggressive in being willing to fight against it and mortify those things. So the battle ensues, but the war is over. Does that make sense? Yes, sir. Did you kind of like that analogy? Because mm-hmm. yeah. when I came across it, it was like, there, that's what I've been trying to describe. That's what I've been trying to say to people. Yes, we utterly believe, totally in the sufficiency of Christ, the finished work of Christ, paying our sin debt. We believe, we are convinced, the Bible says, it's done, it's finished. But then the Bible also says that we continue to struggle with the sin that is in our human flesh. So we know both of those things. We know, ultimately, that Christ as our Savior, as our Redeemer, has paid our sin debt, and we are forever secure before the Father because of what Christ has actually accomplished. The war is over. But we also know that in this lifetime, while we're still in these fleshly bodies, we're still going to have to fight these skirmishes every so often, probably on a daily basis, on an hourly basis, every minute. We have to keep this defense going, but we're on the winning side. Proverbs 1, we got as far as verse 20 last week in our introduction to the book of Proverbs, and in that introduction I said to you that you were going to see places where wisdom and foolishness were personified by Solomon and the different writers. And so what we're going to look at immediately here, starting at verse 20, is one of those personifications which means that Solomon is going to give wisdom a personality and then sort of put that personality into like a little stage play. And he's going to say that wisdom cries out in the streets. Well, we know that wisdom is kind of a non-corporeal thing, and so wisdom does not actually live in the streets and doesn't actually (laughs) shout out. But it's a good way of explaining the availability of wisdom if you want it. That wisdom is there and available and beckoning to you and available in the streets. In Jerusalem at the time that Solomon was writing, that was a very common way that people would market whatever it was they were trying to sell to people and it was also a way that people would gather crowds to themselves. I have something to say. Come out and hear me. And so he likened wisdom to one of those street vendors that is out there saying, I've got something for you. You just need to come and take it. You need to come and avail yourself of it. 
Now this chapter also, the way that it personifies wisdom, sounds very much like the theology that we know about God. And so several years ago, I was asked by a woman here at GCA who has moved since, Alan Sally. You remember Alan Sally? It was Sally who asked me. She said, in the book of Proverbs, is, um, is wisdom sort of a, a code word for God? Are wisdom and God one and the same in Solomon's thinking? And I said, well, they're certainly related. You're going to see the relationship here because wisdom, genuine wisdom, is demonstrated at its very base by having fear of God, revering God. That is wisdom. And we're going to see that those who don't have any wisdom don't revere God. So there's that interpersonal relationship between God and wisdom, and then Solomon's going to say that it is God who gives wisdom. So wisdom would be the reverence and fear of God, but then it is also God that gives wisdom, but then he's also going to say, now seek for wisdom, look for wisdom, because Solomon himself did actively seek wisdom. Remember last week, we talked about all the different subjects that Solomon was conversant in. A lot of them were just educational subjects, various different kinds of trees and animal husbandry and things. That's just general knowledge stuff that he had to accumulate by going to get it. He had to go find it. He had to talk to people who knew about it. He had to read about it. He had to look into these things. He had to do the experimentation that it took to discover things. And so that's what he's referring to when he says, you have to look for knowledge. You have to desire wisdom. In other words, you can't just sit at home in an armchair drinking lemonade and think that wisdom is just going to come get you. You have to be willing to pursue it. And Solomon is going to admonish that you should pursue it with pretty much everything you have. Because it is the dearest thing, the most important thing that you're going to gain in this lifetime because it is wisdom that leads to the fear of God. And without the fear of God, you're not going to have a very good eternity. All of that is going to come out in the balance of chapter 1 and in chapter 2. They're not going to take a whole lot of interpretation they're pretty plain on their face, even though it is sort of in parable form. There's not a whole lot of question about what he's getting at. For instance, when he says that wisdom <coughs> shouts in the streets, we kind of know what he's saying, that wisdom is available, wisdom beckons, and people have to go out and take advantage of the wisdom that's available. <coughs> because wisdom, knowledge, stuff, education is available. It's out there. It's never been more available than it is right now. There's a whole lot of information out there in book form or on the Internet or all the various forms of communication that we have. If you want to know stuff about just about anything, you can access it. <coughs> so he's going to talk about the accumulation of knowledge, but then he's also going to talk about wisdom. And last week I differentiated between knowledge and wisdom and said 
Knowledge is the accumulation of facts, that you know things about things. Wisdom is understanding the intrinsic nature of it, the value of it, how it should be implemented. So both knowledge and wisdom come into play in what Solomon is going to describe in this personification that's coming up. Got it? Yes, sir. Okay. Have I over-talked it yet? No. Because I can. I can do more. So... Proverbs chapter 1, starting at verse 20. Wisdom shouts in the street, and she lifts her voice in the square. The square was the central part of any town where people would gather in order to hear someone (laughs) talk on any subject. They would meet in the square or at the gates of the city. At the gates of the city is where the wise men and the leaders of the city would set up the judgment seat, and they would argue about various different topics there at the gates. So whether in the square or whether in the gates, wisdom is there. You'll notice, by the way, also, and this happens frequently in the book of Proverbs, that Solomon gives wisdom a feminine character. So it's true that Solomon is going to talk about the adulterous woman. He's going to talk about troublesome and quarrelsome women in this book. But you'll also notice he gave wisdom a feminine gender. So she is in the streets shouting. She lifts up her voice in the square. And at the head of very noisy streets, she shouts out. And at the entrance of the gates of the city, she utters her sayings. So that means really... If that's where the wise men are, if that's where the city leaders are, if that's where the judges are, is at the gates of the city, then there's wisdom in those areas. So he's saying you're being called to that wisdom. You're being called to those areas. So go to the town square. That's where people are pouring out their individual wisdom. Go and listen. You're going to gain knowledge. You're going to gain wisdom. The city gates, that's where the wisdom is going to be expelled. Go there. Listen. In other words, he's saying wisdom is available. You got to go to where it is. You can't just sit at home sipping lemonade, as I said. Wisdom won't come find you. You got to go look for wisdom. At the head of noisy streets, she cries out. And at the entrance of the gates of the city, she utters her sayings. So how long, O naive ones, that means simple-minded ones, how long will you love your simplicity? So now he has said, if you don't have wisdom, if you don't have knowledge, you're not just foolish, you're simple-minded. And there are people who are simple-minded who also love their simple-mindedness. Don't confuse me with facts. Don't give me details. I don't want to know stuff. I just want to be entertained and amused and, you know, just give me something to eat, something to drink, and I'm happy. So this is also in contrast to the work, the complications that go into gaining wisdom. You can be simple-minded or you can be more complex in the things that you think about and the things that you pursue. How long, O naive ones... Will you love your simplicity? And scoffers, that means those people who kind of denounce the idea that you need to be smart, that you need to be wise. The scoffers delight themselves in scoffing. That's still true to this very day. 
it's very true on the internet. There are people who think that the way you make an argument is not to actually follow the logical succession of facts and refuting facts. They think it's just the automatic gainsaying and then scoffing of whatever the other person has said. And so he's, they're addressed here. Scoffers delight themselves in scoffing and fools hate knowledge. So there's the contrast. Wisdom shouts in the street. She makes herself available. But the naive ones are not going to go take advantage of it because they love their simplicity. The scoffers are not going to take advantage of it because they delight in their scoffing. They just like being cynics. They just like saying no to everything. And fools hate knowledge. So they're not going to go find the knowledge. They're not going to pursue the wisdom that's readily available. Verse 23, then, is the instruction. Turn to my reproof. Interesting word on Solomon's part there. He's saying, listen to my correction, because correction can oftentimes lead to wisdom. If somebody corrects you properly, you're going to gain some knowledge. You're going to understand something you didn't understand before. Not all reproof is necessarily negative. It's not always just stop that. A wise reproof includes the reasons why you should stop that and the better way to do things. So Solomon says, turn, listen, pay attention to my reproof and behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. That word spirit there is the Hebrew word ruach, sometimes translated wind, sometimes translated breath, sometimes spirit. So the NASB went with spirit there, but what it means is what I have in me, I'm going to share with you. In fact, those two sentences, I think, are parallel. I will pour out my spirit on you is parallel to I will make my words known to you, understood to you. I will explain it to you. Because I called... This, again, is the personification of wisdom. Because I called and you refused. I stretched out my hand and no one paid attention. And you neglected all my counsel and you did not want my reproof. So because of all that, wisdom then says, so I will even laugh at your calamity. I will mock When your dread comes, when your dread comes like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come on you, apparently going to laugh at them. Why? Because everything that was described right there can be handled with some wisdom. When calamity comes, If you have the proper fear of God and you understand his sovereignty, you're going to have the wisdom to know how to deal with it. If there are storms in your life, if trouble comes your way, if you're wise, if you're God-fearing, you're going to know how to deal with it. But if you neglect counsel, if you refuse to be taught anything, if you don't pay attention when wisdom stretches out her hand, Well, then, what do you expect from her when it goes bad? 
suddenly you're going to go, wow, my life went bad. And she essentially says, I will laugh at you because I was right here ready to teach you. I was right here ready to pour out my spirit of wisdom on you and make my words known to you. And you didn't want it. You scoffed. You refused. And your calamity is coming. Life is full of trouble, calamity, storms. That's all coming. And when you don't know what to do, I'm not going to rush in at the last minute and go, oh, let me explain this to you now. Instead, she says, I'm going to laugh at you because your confusion in the midst of your calamity is actually what you brought on yourself because you didn't pay attention to wisdom. I will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your dread comes. By the way, what's the opposite of dread? Confidence. Where does that confidence come from? Knowing that God is sovereign, having a fear of God, having the wisdom to know that all things work together, knowing that he's doing those things that are for your greatest good, having that kind of knowledge will get you through times of fear and calamity and dread. But if you refuse all that and then the dread comes, you got nobody to blame but yourself, wisdom says. Then when that happens, when the whirlwind, when the calamity, when the distress comes, then you're going to call on me. But I won't answer you. The same way that I called to you and you didn't answer? Well, then when it goes bad for you, you're going to come thinking, I'm going to save you? I'm not going to answer you. Now, all of this language right here that we're looking at, this idea of you have neglected my counsel, I stretched out my hand and you wouldn't pay attention, I called, but you refused, is the language that sounds very much like God. Is the language that sounds like God saying all day long, I stretched out my hands to a disobedient, hard-hearted people. And so you can see why in reading this, people would say, well, is this wisdom or is this God talking? And the two are, as I said, very intertwined because wisdom fears God and God gives wisdom. But Solomon sees wisdom as a separate entity from God. And so he personifies wisdom by saying that wisdom is willing to share the words, share the wisdom with you, but you have to take advantage of it. And if you don't, when the circumstances of life reach the point of trouble and calamity for you, where wisdom would have helped you through it, at that point, wisdom is going to laugh at you and not answer you when you call. They will call on me, but I will not answer They will seek me diligently, but they shall not find me. Because, verse 29, because they hated knowledge. They hated the accumulation of information. There are people like that to this very day. It's part of the human condition. People don't want to be educated. They just want to party down, Garth. That's really all they're looking for. There are people who refuse to be taught Last week, I talked about the unteachable people, the people who can't be reached with information, knowledge, wisdom, anything about God, or really anything about anything. They just are unteachable. 
So they hate knowledge. And because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. Those two sentences are interconnected, by the way. That is not an Arminian phrase. They did not choose the fear of the Lord. Plenty of Arminians through the years I've heard cite that verse out of Proverbs and say, see right there, you have to choose. And you have to choose the fear of the Lord. But that's connected to the first part of the sentence. They hated knowledge, so they've chosen knowledge. And in that way of refusing knowledge, refusing wisdom, they are not choosing the fear of the Lord because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Did you follow that? So if they had wanted knowledge, if they had desired wisdom, if they had listened to the wisdom that was available to them, the first thing that wisdom would have taught them was fear God. If they reject wisdom, they're rejecting the fear of God. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, they would not accept my counsel. Because wisdom is going to counsel you. Wisdom is going to instruct you. Wisdom is going to reprove you. Wisdom is going to instruct you on the proper way to lead your life and the proper way to walk. And that's the reason that people refuse wisdom is because they want to, in their supposed self-sufficiency, they want to go their own way and do their own thing. And they don't want anybody to tell them any different than what they already think. You ever bumped into those people? Don't tell me anything other than what I already think. I have an opinion, and my opinion is my whole worldview. And don't come at me with any kind of facts that might offend my worldview. Well, those are people who are not willing to acquire any more knowledge or any more wisdom. And they don't accept my counsel. And they spurned all of my instruction and reproof. So... As a result, verse 31, so they shall eat the fruit of their own way and be satiated with their own devices. In other words, wisdom says, if that's the way you want it, have at it. You want to remain in your ignorance? Remain in your ignorance. But wisdom is shouting in the street and wisdom is starting with fear of the Lord. And there are people who just refuse to understand that, to be taught it to uh, be reproved by it, to be instructed by it, and as a consequence, they're going to suffer the results of what they refuse to know, not only here in this life, but eternally. They will eat the fruit of their own way, and they'll be satiated with their own devices, their own plans, their own intentions. For the waywardness of the naive, of the simple-minded will kill them. Not only because they're simple-minded, not only because they're naive, but because their naivety leads to waywardness, a word that means they want to go their own way. They want to walk away from the paths of righteousness or God-fearing. And so by walking their own way in their simplicity, in their stubborn refusal to be instructed, then they're going to end up under God's judgment, and their waywardness is going to kill them. And their complacency, which means their attitude of, oh, whatever. The word of God is available. It is out there. If you go look for it, if you go search for it, you can find the word of God. You can find 
wisdom explained. You can find wisdom words that are made known to you. It's not an impossibility, but it takes some work. And that is the opposite of being complacent. Complacent is saying, I don't have time for that. I don't have any interest in that. Oh, whatever. The waywardness of the naive shall kill them. The complacency of fools shall destroy them. But he who listens to me, wisdom speaking, he who listens to me shall live securely and shall be at ease from any dread of evil. Remember earlier we were talking about those in calamity, in distress, and in dread? And I said the answer to every one of those circumstances is understanding, knowledge, wisdom, fear of God. Those are the solutions to all of those problems, but those people who are complacent, who he calls fools, those people who are wayward, who remain naive, those who will not listen when wisdom speaks, well, they're never going to know the advantages that you find in verse 33, which says, if you listen to me, number one, you're going to live securely. You're not going to be afraid all the time. And you shall be at ease from the dread of evil. How can you live with no dread of evil? The only way you can do that is to know that the evil already has a master who has already secured you. If you are planted in Christ, Christ is planted in you, or even pre-Christian philosophy, theology, like we're reading in Proverbs, is if you're secure in God, if you have fear of God, that that wisdom, that knowledge is going to keep you from any dread of evil, because evil can't get to you. Because you're in God, and God is more powerful than the evil that would be trying to get to you. That peace that they promise, that peace that goes beyond understanding. Peace that is beyond understanding. Yeah. In chapter 2, then, the subject a little bit is changing here. Now it goes back to Solomon, actually speaking, after his personification of wisdom. He's now going to give some direct commands to his student, to his son. He's speaking from the standpoint of being the king of Israel, somebody who has to make judgments all day, every day. And he has to make those judgments in fairness and in understanding, and so he's going to talk about that. My son, if you'll receive my sayings and treasure my commandments within you, then make your ear attentive to wisdom. So he has just drawn a direct parallel between wisdom, who he previously personified, and his own words. He's saying, now listen to my words, and if you listen to my words, if you follow my commandments, if you're attentive, you're attentive to the wisdom that I'm pouring out. By the way, I also need to point out that in this place, he said, listen to my commandments. Is he talking about the Ten Commandments there? No. no, probably not. So can Solomon differentiate between the Ten Commandments and what he considers his commandments? Yes. Yeah, if that's the case, could Jesus do the same thing? <laughs> in the New Testament, we see Jesus saying, if you love me, keep my commandments. And I have argued for years that he's not talking about the Ten Commandments. He's talking about the new commandments of the new covenant 
and he's the new lawgiver, and now he's putting out his commandments, and if you love him, you'll follow his commandments. That was a little extra. And a new commandment I give you that you love one another. Exactly right. But this is just another example in the Bible of somebody who can say, follow my commandments. And they're, they're not talking about the Ten Commandments, and it's obvious. So verse 2, make your ear attentive to wisdom, which means my words, what I'm going to teach you, what I'm going to say to you. He just said, receive my sayings. So make your ear attentive to wisdom and incline your heart to understanding. It takes some activity. You have to incline your way. You have to listen. You have to pay attention. You have to think on these things. Because if you cry for discernment, that doesn't mean boo-hoo, but if you shout out for wisdom the same way that wisdom shouts out in the streets, if you Cry out for discernment, comprehension, understanding. And if you lift your voice for that understanding, if you seek her like silver and search for her as for hidden treasure, then you will discern the fear of the Lord. So again, if you seek wisdom, where are you going to end up? Fear of the Lord. That's where you'll always end up. Genuine wisdom always leads you back to God. Genuine wisdom will not lead you to a greater sense of self-sufficiency. If you have a greater sense of self-sufficiency, that's ego. That's not wisdom. Wisdom is trust God utterly, implicitly, across the board in every aspect of your life. But notice that the wisdom doesn't just come simply You have to make your ear attentive. You have to incline your heart. You have to cry out for that discernment. Lift your voice for understanding. Seek it like you seek silver. If I told you that there was a gold bar, pure bullion, somewhere in this building, And I couldn't tell you where it was, but the first person to find it gets to keep it. Yeah, you're you're off on a foot race instantly. You're all going to go find that, and you're going to look for it. I mean, you're going to look high and low. There's going to be people in the attic. There's going to be people in the parking lot. There's going to be people overturning every chair. There's going to be people seeking that. Well, he said, that's the way you need to seek wisdom. Look for it like a hidden treasure. Look for wisdom, seek wisdom, actively engage yourself to go find wisdom. And when you find it, then you will understand, comprehend, discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. Not the knowledge that God has, the knowledge of God and who he is. You will gain the knowledge of God's existence, of God's purpose, of what God has done in the world and in your life. And you'll discover all that. That is wisdom. You'll discover all that. If you go look, if you go seek, if you desire it more than you desire anything else, if you look for it like silver, if you search for it like a hidden treasure, then you're going to discern the fear of the Lord. Verse 6. For the Lord gives wisdom. That's that sort of 
conundrum that I mentioned at the beginning this evening, that wisdom will lead you to the fear of the Lord, but it's the Lord that gives you wisdom. So it kind of takes you back to God is the first cause of everything. But then God being the first cause, having drawn you to himself, having given you knowledge of himself, having given you some wisdom and understanding, your response to that is to go seek him with everything you got. To go look for him, to go study him, to go understand him, to go look into his word. To commit yourself to it like you're seeking out silver or a hidden treasure. So God is the first cause, but then you react in a way that is seeking God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. Okay, has anybody here heard directly from God lately? No. Has anybody heard the audible voice of God telling you what to do lately? No. So since we know that from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding, where are you going to find those words? Right here. Right in the Bible. Which is why I keep pounding on the Bible. Week in, week out, just constantly saying, this is the word of God. If you'll pay attention to it, if you'll listen to it, if you'll read it, if you'll understand it, then that is God speaking to you. Jesus one time in talking to the Pharisees was speaking about something that was written in the Old Testament and yet the way he presented it to the Pharisees is he said, haven't you seen where God said to you? It was a direct command from God that was written in the scriptures. So he himself saw the scriptures as the voice of God. As the speaking of God. God has said to you in the scriptures. And so when Solomon says that the Lord gives wisdom and from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding, the place where you find that knowledge and understanding is in this book, in the word of God. That's the very voice of God. Because he, God, stores up sound wisdom. Not arbitrary wisdom, very specific, whole, healthy wisdom. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. And he is a shield to those who walk in integrity. There we are, we're back to that walking thing again. We're back to going through your life in integrity. Solomon says, in integrity, Paul says, by the Spirit. It's all the same thing. It's the same idea that if you belong to God, then you would walk like it. You would act like it. And the wisdom of God leads you to knowledge and understanding and sound wisdom, which leads to you being upright, and then he becomes a shield for you in your integrity, and that's why you're not fearful of the distresses or the anguishes or the calamities or the storms or the dread that might come in life, because he is your shield. He is your reward. He is your protector. But that's all the benefit Of paying attention to his word. It's the benefit of listening to the wisdom of God. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. He guards the paths of justice. And he preserves the way of his godly ones. 
We see that in the New Testament. We see that God leads the paths that we walk on. We know that God takes us to the good works that he has foreordained that we will do. It is still God who leads us through this lifetime. And because he never abandons us as we walk through this lifetime, that's where we get our wisdom and our confidence and our knowledge. And that gives us the shield for knowing that whatever comes our way, we're going to be okay because it is that God who led us to this. Whatever trouble comes into our life, it is the God who shields us, protects us, and leads us into whatever comes our way. He's guarding the paths of justice, and he preserves the way of his godly ones. And then you will discern righteousness and justice and equity and every good course. Those three things we talked about last week because he brought them up in chapter 1. When he was saying at the very beginning, my son, listen to me. Walk in these particular ways. Don't forsake the teaching that I'm about to put in front of you. One of the things that he has to do as the king is to meet out judgment and to do it with equity, to do it with righteousness, and to make sure that justice is meted out in each of those cases. So he says, you will learn, if you're wise, if you listen to the words of God, then you're going to learn righteousness, how to walk uprightly, justice, how to make sure that in everything that you adjudicate, you figure out the proper and just way to solve things, and equity, fairness, is going to be the result of the wisdom you gain. And... On top of that, and every good course. In other words, that's a bad way to go. That's a good way to go. You're able to discern it. You know the difference. That's the bad way. That's the good way. Without the knowledge of God, without the wisdom of God, you don't have the ability to figure out what the bad and the good way is. All you know is, that's my way. That's probably a bad way. Especially if you're busy being a cynic and being wayward and being simple-minded, then you're just always going to walk in the paths of destruction that lead to death. But the inability that natural men have is the inability to find the way that would please God, to find the proper course, to find the right way. But through the enlightenment of God and through the enlightenment of wisdom, God will instruct you in the right way to go in your life. The proper, righteous, upright way to walk. So then you will discern righteousness and justice and equity and every good course, every good way to walk. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. That, again, is the exact opposite of those who are cynical or wayward, those that are complacent and don't care. Instead, you're going to find yourself wanting the knowledge of God. You're wanting the wisdom of God. As it enters your heart, it will be pleasant to your soul. It will be satisfying to you. Here, I'll see if I can make that more apparent. Have you ever come here to church and walked out saying, I needed that. 
I needed to hear that. And what happened? The wisdom of God just got good to your soul. It just satisfied you. It just comforted you. It just gave you the confidence to walk through another day. That's what Solomon is describing here in the wisdom that God gives. Wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. And discretion, making good choices, being wise in this life, discretion, choosing the right thing, knowing what's bad when you see it, that kind of discretion will guard you because there's all kinds of crazy evil in this world. But the wisdom God gives you will give you proper discretion to know where to walk and what to do. Discretion will guard you and understanding, comprehension will watch over you. That again is a personification of the values of discretion and understanding, but you do understand what he's getting at. If you have that wisdom, if you have that discretion, if you have that ability to understand the difference between what's right and what's wrong, then you're going to walk in an appropriate way. You're going to follow after a good course and understanding is going to watch over you. And what will it do? Verse 12, to deliver you from the way of evil and from the man who speaks perverse things, from those who leave the path of righteousness and uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness. Who, those people who like to walk in darkness, delight in doing evil and rejoice in the perversity of evil. Man, does that describe anything going on in our world these days? Not only is there a ton of stuff going on that we just kind of shake our head and go, wow, how is that even allowable in our society? That is just so evil. Have you seen the 10-year-old transvestite? Have you, seen, have you come across that one yet? Have you come across the transvestites at libraries reading books to children yet? There was a recent gay pride parade that included a 10-year-old transvestite marching down the street being all, as they described him, fierce. Yeah. Okay, so not only is that really, really corrupt and perverse, it's in a parade. There are people who are celebrating the perversity of it. Well, that's exactly what he's describing here. Wisdom, the knowledge of God, will lead to uprightness and walking in a proper way to deliver you from the way of evil, from a man who speaks perverse things, from those who leave the path of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who delight in doing evil, and they rejoice in the perversity of evil. They throw parades, and they have things like pride in their perversity. That right there, what I just said, that statement right there is enough to get me thrown off many Google sites now. Yeah, I can't say that on Twitter or there are several. And that's them now on my phone. There's, there's whole social media movements now in which you cannot say what I just said because they delight in the perversity of evil. But what is the deal with them? Verse 15, their paths are crooked and they are devious, lying, underhanded in their ways. 
to deliver you from the strange woman. Now, that's why I said earlier, you'll notice that wisdom has a feminine gender. But then there's going to be the strange woman, the opposite. The strange woman, you know, that Solomon loved many strange women, strangers from Israel to deliver you from the women who God has said, don't intermarry with them. And yet those women are going to be in Israel enticing the men. And also there's going to be the adulteress, the married woman who is sick of her husband. And so she tries to corrupt other men with her favors. To deliver you from the strange woman, from the adulteress who flatters you with her words. Who was I just having this conversation with? It seems to me that it was at my house. But the concept of flattery is a foreign concept these days. Once upon a time, that was a negative, the word flattery. If you started buttering somebody up, if they wanted to stop you, they would say, oh, you flatterer. Okay, that idea, that concept has kind of disappeared from our modern notions of what's proper behavior because, I am convinced, because social media now has appealed to everybody's inner narcissist. And so they get to put the best and worst of them out there for everybody to see, but that is combined with a society that says you can't say anything negative about anybody. And so... Every child gets a participation trophy. And if somebody even says something perverse and crazy, demonstrably perverse, and you call it out, you're the one that's in trouble, not them. You're not allowed to criticize anybody. You're not allowed to say that Islam is a false religion. There, I said it. I'm going to get thrown off more social media sites now for having said that, I know. But as a consequence of everybody having outlets for their inner narcissist combined with the inability to criticize anybody in a genuine, instructive way, well, then the idea of flattery disappears. And do you know what flattery is? I keep using this word. Do you understand what flattery is? Flattery is getting somebody to sort of do your bidding by saying overly gracious things about them. My, aren't you doing well today? You're probably the smartest person in your class. I love the way that dress looks on you. You're really doing well in the way that you run faster and jump higher than everybody else. At some point, I'm trying to ingratiate myself to you by saying complimentary things to you so that I can get you ultimately to do what I want you to do. That's what flattery is. And that whole notion of flattery has kind of disappeared from our modern society because when you start to flatter most people now, especially people who are so involved in their own inner narcissist, that you can't overflatter them because they think everything you're saying about them is true. And nobody's allowed to say it's not. So flattery disappears. But look here. The adulteress 
is going to flatter you with her words. She's going to say ingratiating things to you in order for you, especially men here, to kind of go, oh, yeah, she's into me. Oh, yeah, she's right. She sees through me. She, she recognizes my value. Right? All the men in the room are going, yep. Yeah, true. All the women in the room are going, yep, that's how that works. Yeah, the adulteress is going to flatter you with her words. And yet she's the one, verse 17, that leaves the companion of her youth. In other words, she has a husband. She's married to her husband, but she leaves him to chase after other men. And the way she gets those other men is by enticing and flattering words. And she forgets the covenant of her God. She forgets the vows that she made to that husband before God. For her house sinks down to death and her tracks lead to the dead. None who go to her return again, nor do they reach the paths of life. Now, it's possible here that he's not speaking strictly of an actual adulterous woman. He may be saying this to contrast the woman who is wise, the wisdom who is feminine. The wise woman leads you to paths of righteousness. The adulterous woman who instead of leading you to the fear of God, leads you to many different gods. Notice, remember what happened to Solomon. He loved many strange women, and as a consequence, he went chasing after foreign gods. And that's what he lost so much of the kingdom over. So Solomon may be using this image of an adulterous woman to describe what even God calls adultery, which is chasing after other gods because you've been enticed away and you were enticed away by flattery, by making you feel good about yourself, by saying lots of positive things to you. I'll just mention this and just keep moving. But that's the way so much of modern religion and modern Christianity works in order to build really large churches. They say flattering things to sinners to make sinners feel good about themselves and then entice them away to a different God than the God that's in the Bible. And that is a form of adultery. God says so. That seems like the complete opposite because if you remember, wisdom was all about reproof. Mm-hmm. And instruction. Is the complete opposite of That's right. None who go to her return again, nor do they reach the paths of life. So, verse 20 You, my son, you will walk in the way of good men and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will live in the land. The blameless, the righteous, will remain in the land, but the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous will be uprooted from it. So there's your contrast right there. Righteous and wicked, the righteous pursue wisdom, and the wicked pursue adultery and flattery. They don't want wisdom, they reject wisdom, but genuine wisdom leads to the fear of God. And that wisdom that leads to the fear of God, God has to give you. Got all that? Yes, sir. Understand the theology that Solomon's putting out here? And he says, this is my instruction. Pay attention to my instruction. And uh, those are certainly good words. Pay attention. 
actively pursue it. When you have as big a treasury of wisdom as is available to you in the Bible, if you ignore that, if you reject that, if you're cynical against that, you are indeed a fool. All right, any questions? Comments? What's really frightening here is that not only did Solomon's son not listen to those words, but Solomon himself forgot them. And yet they're true. They are true. Yeah. And it kind of goes back to what I said, huh? At the very beginning. He started listening to flattering words. Didn't he just? From about, only about a thousand women, though. So it's okay. Only about. Only about. <laughs> I'm not even in that conversation. You two work that out between you two. Any questions, comments, anything else? We're good? All right. Did you enjoy those two chapters of the book of Proverbs? You can see where it's going. This, by the way, oh, I was going to mention this in passing, so I'm glad I thought of it. All of that so far that we've read for two weeks is all introduction. So Solomon has the same disease I have. I just wanted to point that out. Okay. So this didn't count against his time? And this didn't count against his time. He's still got so many more chapters to put in. So, All right, say goodbye to the Internet congregation. Goodbye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's Salvation by Grace message. We welcome your feedback and encourage you to visit our website at salvationbygrace.org. And we invite you to join us next time when we gather around the Word and study the sovereign grace of God.